poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Philosophical Friday. These are your co-hosts, Peter Birmingham and yours truly, Duncan Palamortis. And today we're absolutely excited to have Doc in the podcast, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Alex Shoran, a.k.a. Uh, Queen of Diamonds on Twitch, a.k.a. <laughs> a, a very important educator at Poker Power, Welcome to the show, Doc. How are you today? I'm great. I love this show. I'm your biggest fan. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very See, much. See, Duncan, I, I told you we had fans. I told you. <laughs> that, 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 that's awesome. That's awesome. And, the and rumors the, weren't true. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I mean, I, I like it. And, you know, uh, Alex, you and I, we exchange messages often over at the village and you always have very interesting things to say. So we thought, you know what? Why not come here and talk about a, an interesting topic? And, and Peter, you are the topic master. What is the topic today? So today's topic was actually suggested by Doc herself. I think this is I think this is a topic that's pretty close to her heart, which is the topic of resilience. And obviously that has a lot of bearing on poker, but obviously other aspects of life as well. So Doc. Why don't you start us off? What what does resilience mean to you? Well, I I really love how poker teaches resilience because I believe that poker actually teaches many cool skills. And my work at Poker Power is just about just that. Basically, at PokerPower.com, we teach women how to play poker. It's our goal to teach one million women how to play poker and flip the tables. But the idea is that we can teach these extra business skills and skills that women are missing with regards to confidence and risk assessment and you know taking ownership over a hand those kind of skills at a poker table can also be transferable to like the boardroom table right mm -hmm. and likewise Absolutely. i think that the resilience that we learn through poker can transfer over to our own lives and i think it's important at this point for us to do the disclaimer that although there may be several phds on this podcast none of them are relevant to trauma <laughs> so <laughs> please don't listen to us if you're thinking about treating your trauma that is for somebody who knows what they're talking about <laughs> uh, uh, absolutely and we've made that uh, claim before when we're talking about poker addiction this is for entertainment purposes only you can think of a bunch of friends you know talking things over a beer or two or more than two. So we actually are just having fun here. And, and hopefully uh, our primary goal with philosophy in general, um, which again is defined as the friends of wisdom, is to spark some internal perhaps wisdom and thought. Um, Alex, I, I really cannot, um, cannot help myself. And I really want to mention a, a comment you made on Twitter, which I think has a lot to unpack. So, so Doug, here it is. So 
As you all know, we're trying to uh, get interesting questions, and we have a lot of interesting questions addressed to Dr. Day, so we'll get to those in a second. But uh, I think even more interesting than the questions is a comment that Doc made on Twitter, which I want to read verbatim. So it goes something like this. Come on, guys. I'm sure you have some morbidly curious questions about a cancer survivor whose life was thrown into upheaval when her husband ran off and she had to move countries and discover poker as a healing balm for her trauma. Bad beats are an illusion, yo. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Doc, so, without further ado, please unpack for us whatever you want to unpack there. Sure, I will unpack that. I always tell my kids, there's, and they would chant along with me if they were here, there's no such thing as bad days, just bad attitudes. <laughs> and my thoughts behind this are that I've had a lot of bad days. So so when I discovered poker, I had just gone through like a country song kind of year or, you know, super villain origin story kind of year, whatever you prefer, where um, I got cancer out of the clear blue sky. Uh, it was uh, triple positive breast cancer. It was already stage 3C, which is the last stop before stage 4, which is uncurable, right? And I had no family history. I was incredibly healthy, like marathon runner, vegan. Like I'm, I'm the poster child of like, if I could get it, anyone can, right? So I was 34 and boom, I got cancer. And I was thrown into all the treatment, right? I had five months of chemotherapy. I had 36 treatments of radiation. I had a double, double mastectomies. So I don't have these anymore. And um, I also had to get my ovaries out because it was estrogen receptor positive cancer. So it feeds on estrogen. So we had to take all that estrogen generating stuff out of there. And I'm actually still to this day taking estrogen blockers because your fat cells produce estrogen. So just in case there's any cancer cells sneaking around my body, they won't have their delicious food of estrogen. While I was getting this cancer treatment, my husband and, you know, I had been married for 11 years. Um, he ran off with my best friend. <laughs> so it was very, very country song kind of story where, you know, like, just he just took off one day and I was like, okay, what's happening here? And I, then I had to pack up the whole house and sell the house and sell everything. I, I gave him all the stuff, right? Because what do you do with all the things that you've like touched over the years and built this life together? You know, like I didn't really want any of it. I was just like, okay. So I pack up my tiny little Ford Fusion and drove to Canada. Wow. <laughs> and um where my I was born and I have family here. I didn't have any family in Washington State where I was married. Um, and at that point, we had been together for 14 years uh, when I went through the divorce. And it was incredibly contentious too. It was one of the top 2% of contentious divorces because I'm an overachiever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was brutal, it was ugly. It was very destructive to the psyche, right? And so at that point, with my life just totally crazy, I'm sitting in my new living room with no furniture, just a blanket on the floor. And I'm like, okay, I've got a new life. I'm going to learn a smart people game. I'm going to learn either poker or chess. And I decided on poker because I felt like I could make more friends that way, right? There's a whole table full of people instead of just one opponent at a time. And I'm really glad I chose poker because it, I right away, 
I noticed it start testing my resilience, mm. right? Because you start experiencing bad luck. And over time, I started learning that all bad luck isn't my fault, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, so what's what's fun about poker is it's a game, right? Like all the variants in poker is a toy. When I see people get upset over bad beats, I'm just like, I can't even fathom it, right? Because I'm like, this is a toy. This is a game. You have no idea the bad beats life can put on you, right? There's the, the real life bad beats, right? I mean, these are exactly. the real bad beats. Yes, running, running exactly. bad in life is, yeah, absolutely. Life run bad can be so yeah. awful, right? Like a year from now, you could be in a whole other country with a whole other life around you and completely new people, right? Mm-hmm. And And... It can just be in an instant, right? Life can just throw you this curveball and you have to drop everything that's important to you, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in poker, that never happens. But, you know, children aren't the only people who learn through play. I think mm-hmm. that adults learn through play as well. And I feel like poker has these stressors, these natural survival triggers that it keeps hammering on over and over again. And when I started reading about healing trauma and and going to lots of therapy, okay, lots of therapy, (laughs) can't only say that there was poker, there was also tons of therapy. And my therapist was saying that in order to address trauma, you have to expose yourself to the same triggers, but in a different context, Mm -hmm. right? So like, let's say you experience a terrible car wreck, which incidentally, I did have a terrible car wreck also along the same around the same time because it was just that bad of a country song kind of year. Anyway, uh, let's say you go through a horrible car wreck, then you you might not want to drive your car on the same road again real fast, you know, like, that's just not what I was ready to do. So maybe you go and you sit in the car, right? And you don't drive anywhere at first, and you're exposing yourself to some of the triggers but in a different context where you're safe, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, a trigger after the car wreck was seeing headlights, right? Because that's what I saw right before the truck plowed into me. So I would go for a walk along the road and I would just see the headlights coming over and over again. And I'd feel all the trauma, but I'd allow myself to to feel it in this safer context. I mean, sure, I could get run over, but hopefully not. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I see exactly what you're saying. Yes. So this is a, a very interesting idea in psychology where basically you're recreating the circumstances, but in a safe environment. And it's it's important for, you know, the, the, the body to know. And again, I mean, we're quoting the, the work of somebody else, obviously do your own research, but it's the idea that recreating the same environment uh, a uh, similar environment uh, with all the safety nets present and knowing that those safety uh, nets are present slowly but steadily uh, the idea is that the body is going to uh, get get used to it is that sort of like the, the the right idea of the exactly and and meanwhile i was getting a lot of therapy and my therapist told me to go to alanon so what alanon is it, you've probably all heard of alcoholics anonymous for alcoholics mm-hmm. alanon is kind of a spin-off 12 step group for people who had the relationships with the alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. Because they kind of develop all of these maladaptive coping mechanisms too. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of Al-Anon is you go to this separate group and you kind of heal yourself of all those screwed up coping mechanisms that you developed while living with the alcoholic, right? Mm-hmm. So my therapist said, you need to go to Al-Anon. And so I went to Al-Anon and they immediately gave me the 12 steps, right? And the 12 steps, the first of the few 12 steps are things like, acknowledging that you're powerless, which I wasn't ready to do at all. And then people in Al-Anon were saying, it's not your fault that he was an alcoholic. And I thought, you can't say that. 
you don't you don't know my life like mm -hmm. you can't say it's not my fault i wasn't ready to give up control right mm -hmm. and one of the steps which i really like is just getting ready to relinquish control right mm -hmm. like there's a whole separate step for just becoming ready and i feel like poker helped me get ready to say hey i'm not in control of everything it's not all bad luck is not my fault right and it was actually hard to say that i know a lot of people they don't like to take personal responsibility so it's easy for them to blame others i wanted to ask about that actually because you mentioned the word control and at the same time responsibility so there's a very yeah. subtle distinction here so what part of that description that you just made you think it was about control and what part of that was responsibility because a responsible uh, person would react exactly the same way you did it would say it's not my fault i mean i did some things to get where i am so where would you draw the line between taking the responsibility but also understanding that there are things that you don't control I think that you know poker really helped with that right because in a hand you have this skill component and this luck component and i think that the control and responsibility are similarly intertwined and inextricably bound and they're it's very difficult to tease apart right mm -hmm. because they one butts up right against the other so it's really important i think the job of the human in life mm -hmm. is to find out what is my responsibility? What can I control? And to let the rest of that all go, right? Absolutely. And, and if you don't mind me asking, like, how did you come to terms with your responsibility for what happened, but at the same time, your understanding that it was not all of it under under your control? How did you uh, end up, if, if, if you want to share, of course. I think, I, you know, I'm still working on that day by day, <laughs> definitely. I, I did spend a lot of sleepless nights, you know, because it, I, I did feel blindsided when mm -hmm. when my husband left me, especially. Uh, I didn't blame myself for my cancer because there's pretty specific, you know, science behind, mm -hmm. you know, what causes cancer, what doesn't cause cancer and what we don't know. And there's a whole bunch of what we don't know. So I know I didn't cause my cancer. Right. Mm -hmm. But of course, I still have to wonder about what happened with the divorce because it was so I was so blindsided, right? I was so incredibly in love with him. You know, I still do love him. I do have mm -hmm. love for him. Um, and so I, I I spent a lot of sleepless nights just reliving every tiny moment in life and being like, was it that moment when I chose not to cuddle him? You know, like mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to to find some some semblance of control. And eventually I I had to do what you do in poker where you have to not try to own what's in another person's mind right mm -hmm. i think that uh the, the current meta in the poker world is whether or not hand reading is really incredibly useful in different scenarios mm -hmm. right i mean brad is all coach brad is always saying like don't waste your brain space trying to range fish right because mm -hmm. they're just going to be playing whatever and i think that the same <laughs> the same I came to the same conclusion about my ex-husband right don't range the fish okay like that's a fool's errand I'm never gonna know what the hell range he was playing with okay Absolutely. and so um that that's kind of how I solved that that hand <laughs> it, 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 it's very interesting because uh as I'm as I'm listening to you I hear some very 
important things, which to me at least shows a clear distinction between, uh, you know, responsibility, the, the distinction between responsibility and, and control, like saying things, for example, like, you know, you still uh, love your, your ex-husband. I think that shows an incredible amount of growth for several reasons. I, I often say, I mean, um, I, I, I've written that several times that people who hate those that they at some point were together, they never love them. Yeah. Because it's very difficult, you know, to to accept the fact that you're with somebody. And, uh, you know, I've been through a, a bad breakup myself. I mean, I'm sure other people, too, uh, nowhere near what Doc has experienced. But it is very it is very similar, that idea that, you know, you can't possibly say that somebody you spend so much quality time with, all of a sudden they become this, you know, stranger or this person that, you know, all these negative feelings. A lot of it may come from ego and things like that. So you saying that to me sounds like a great amount of responsibilities, like you're separating, you know, the wheat from the chaff, like the positive emotion from the negative emotion and some issue. Would that be a fair assessment again? Yeah, I think that one of the questions that kept me up late at night was wondering, I thought, okay, there's two scenarios here. Either A, scenario A, he never loved me. And my whole marriage was this weird, elaborate lie. And all of those moments of closeness that I felt were completely false and not real. Mm -hmm. Or B, his light love turned off like a light switch. And there's people just walking around that can just snap like that. And, right. you know, like a tiger turns on its owner. And now I need to try and figure out who those people are and stay the hell away from them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so neither of these two scenarios were are great scenarios right mm -hmm. i was like there's there can only be one of these two scenarios and so i spent many sleepless nights trying to figure out which scenario is the truth and finally i realized this was something that i also had to relinquish it's like ranging the fish right it can't be just this binary of these two scenarios mm -hmm. and the the results of either of these two scenarios are also harmful right because if I believe in scenario A, that it was all a lie, then I, it, 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 the, the responsibility piece would be, well, now I can't, I have to live authentically. And what does that mean? You know, can it, can one live authentically in a relationship ever, right? Because you can never know what's in another person's heart. Mm -hmm. If I believed in scenario B, <laughs> then I would have to start intricately judging every human that I come into interaction with which is not very helpful. It's probably actually a negative trait, mm -hmm. right? So neither of the outcomes were a world that I really wanted to live in. So at some point I decided to just opt out. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. Again, opting out. I mean, the idea of letting go, right? I mean, at some yeah. point, which is something that uh, you mentioned poker helped you. Um, another natural question, I guess, would be, this is an incredible story, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing. This is this is <laughs> such a, such an incredible story. I'm sure the the, the listeners will appreciate and drop uh, drop drop some love for for Doc, like in, in the comments. <laughs> I mean, this is a, such an incredible story. Um, Thank you. But, I know I'm not alone. It it does feel really isolating when you're in any of these scenarios, like divorce or cancer. But you're totally not alone out there. <laughs> absolutely, and this is this is a, an excellent message too. Um, what would you say now you're exposing yourself to poker uh, what would you say if anything helped you uh change your perception on some of these things that happened to you uh, in prior after you exposed yourself to poker like if you were to make a list of a few things and i will say you know what i used to see this part of my life this way 
and you already hinted some of these things, but I just want to make yeah. give you an opportunity to make them as clear, clear as you like. What were some things that you'd say, you know what, I, I used to view this A, now I view it as B. And how did that change? Well, I think the biggest thing that I learned was about, and I think that this applies to everyone. If you want to let poker be your magical, you know, healing tool, look at your tilt. Like what does make you tilt? If you're, yeah. I thought when I started playing poker, I was like, man, I'm going to be so great at poker because I'm never going to tilt because I don't get mad at bad beats. Right. And to an extent, I think that's a strength of mine. Like, it's funny, my coach was just reviewing a video and he was like, doc, don't give an F. She look at this. She doesn't give an F, right? And it, it's true. Uh, I don't. I don't give an F about bad beats, but I get mistake tilt really bad. And it's funny because those sleepless nights where I was thinking and reliving every experience in my marriage and trying to judge, like, was that the moment I screwed up? Responsibility. The, yeah. And so when I'm playing poker, that's where my tilt manifests. If I play a hand and I'm like, ooh, wow, why did I? That was really bad. And then the next hand comes along. But guess what? I'm still thinking about that last hand. That's the equivalent. The poker equivalent of a sleepless night is when you're in a new hand, but you're thinking about the last hand, right? And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to say I'm completely healed of this because this is still like my main working ground for tilt right now is, is allowing myself to make mistakes allowing myself to understand that mistakes are part of the human condition <laughs> and then um you know processing them in healthy ways like when i'm reviewing my hands later instead of in the middle of the next hand where i'm like kicking myself just brutally for doing something and being like oh no my coach is totally gonna find that hand play more hands cover this in cover this in <laughs> It is it is such a such a great point, Doc. That uh, if I may, I just want to sort of like rephrase it and paraphrase it for the for the listener because I think a lot of people struggle with that. And I guess just for simplification purposes, tilt comes in two major forms. You know, uh, be angry at external factors and be angry at internal factors, if you will. So the external factors would be, oh, the opponent hit the one hour on me. You know, universe, why are you so yeah. bad against me? And this is obviously something that you have no issue with, right? But then yeah. internal factors, mistakes that we made, I could have made, could have played this hand differently. Why did I not raise uh, on, on the flop? I knew I should have raised on the flop. Or why did I check back that turn, right? I mean, mm -hmm. these are internal reasons. And a lot of people mind those mistakes, right? I mean, this is another form of tilt that you're letting the internal issues sort of like affect you. And, and it sounds like this was the type of, of tilt you were you, 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 you were illustrating. Yeah, that's that's what I'm currently working on. One other form of tilt that I feel like I've actually worked through really well with poker and also it has a parallel in life is um, the fear, which is another internal factor. For example, when a flush closes, and then there's, you know, when I was a beginner, every time a flush closed, I would like shut down and I'd just be like, I'd be afraid. I, it's fear, right? That the flush is out there and that you're going to look like an idiot butting in, betting into it, right? And like, so I went through this and um, Peter Clark wrote this amazing book called Poker Therapy. Um, I know a lot of people tell 
people to read, you know, The Mental Game of Poker by Jared Tendler. And he's mm -hmm. also got a sequel, The Mental Game of Poker 2. Those are great books. But honestly, poker therapy was really amazing because it helped me recognize that that's a fear, right? And so the life parallel would be like, you know, why form friendships or relationships because they could turn out just as ugly and horrific as my ex-husband. And I still struggle with that too. I struggle to let friends come close because of course it was a friend of mine who ran off with my ex-husband. So I'm like, you know, I don't want to let people close because they could hurt my family. Right. right. <laughs> and so, um, so that's kind of my parallel is like the flush close is people getting close to me, you know, and there's different outcomes out there that I can't possibly know about because it's the turn of a card, right? I can't know what's in another person's heart. I can't know what the next card is going to be. And so I cured that tilt on the poker felt. And I think it helped me kind of realize that I need to see the next hand too with regards to friends, you know, like I need to allow myself to find some closeness as my therapist says, make room in my life <laughs> for things that I have lost. <laughs> if I may, and I, I mean this with every sensitivity, um, essentially the suggestion is to bet fold through life. Yes. <laughs> right, right. And I, and I mean it's with very, a lot of sensitivity because like I, I can't help but make a parallel that when you're talking about the, you know, the, the, the flush hitting on the turn or something like that, typically and I don't want to mean to oversimplify, but typically yeah. a good strategy would be to bet fold, right? We're right. still betting to try to get value, but if we get raised from a fish, especially, we can let go. So the exactly. idea, the idea is not to slow down. The idea is to just make sure we incorporate the new information and jump ship later if need be. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's that incorporating the new information piece that's that's so important in poker and in life. Yeah. Right. And 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 the metaphor that I'm trying to to draw again with every sensitivity of the word, I, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle anything or turn it into a caricature, the exact opposite. It is often the case that in life, people either like to fold, you know, close up and then, you know, we're not opening ourselves to any experience or, you know, bed call, you know, I'm all the way, like 100 percent, no matter what, you know, so it is sort of like uh, and, 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 and I think essentially what you said earlier you know like the, the, the love still being affectionate um you know for 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 your for your past self even you know because uh, and everything that you built with with a, with a person i think that's a perfect example of you know bed folding in in some sense you know like i still want to keep the valuable things that happen and throw 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 away the rest and i and and hopefully you know it's it's not insensitive, you know. It doesn't come out as no, no, definitely not. It's it's a work in progress for sure. Uh, I think what's tough about trauma and what's tough about you know even bad beats in poker is that we can't go back to the world in which those things never happen because I think a, a lot of us operate as if bad things can't happen to us, right? And cancer survivors know this because the first thing everyone asks you is, oh, did you smoke, right? Terribly insensitive question, right? Mm -hmm. To start blaming the cancer patient. Don't ask somebody if they smoked. I didn't, by the way. But like, it's people trying to gain control, right? right. Because they want to feel like it will never happen to them. Like, oh, did you eat red meat? You know, did you do this? Did you do that? Because they want to be like, this is somehow not going to befall me. 
And um, another way that we operate in this sort of idea of this world where we can't have bad beats is when we're driving, you know, to kind of, I want to bring it back to like the car wreck that I had that same, like right before all the cancer and everything else. What happened was I was driving with my kids in the back and a truck, like I saw like the wheel twitch like that. And then he crossed the double yellow line and just slammed into me. There's no turn time to react, you know, slammed on the brakes, whole front of the car came in, crushed my knees. It was a big deal. And after that, driving became different because I realized the double yellow lines on the road are not magic, right? And right now, most of you out there are operating like the double yellow lines are magic. They protect you. They're not, they're, people can't cross those double yellow lines and kill your whole family. They just can't, right? They're magic. And I can't put my brain back in that box where the double yellow lines are magic. So now I'm okay driving again. It was a process. <laughs> Now I'm okay driving again, but I don't enjoy road trips anymore. Like I used to just love road trips. I just go out on a long drive just for funsies. And I can't do that anymore because I can't say those double yellow lines are magic anymore. And I think that as we go through life, by the time you get to my age, you've got lots of those situations (laughs) where you've had a bad beat and you can't put your brain back in the box where that bad beat can never happen again. So you have to go back to that question, like you said, what's the difference between control and responsibility? What can I control here? I can't control the people in the other car. You know, all I can do is be responsible, like never exceed the speed limit. I haven't even gone like one kilometer per hour over the speed limit since that day because I just have zero interest in that anymore. (laughs) And that's something I can control. That's a responsibility I can have. And I just have to look at life that way for everything now. No, this is this is this is absolutely absolutely great, fantastic stuff, uh, Peter. Yeah, just just interesting there with the way you were talking about the the car doc was when I when I first learned was learning to drive and my it was actually my sister said it to me. She said, "Look, she said out there you're not just driving your car; you have to be driving everyone else's car as well because that's the only way you're going to have any." control over what happens and even then it's not enough but that will give you a head start if you're if you're if you can anticipate you might get away but look like that it's not always possible and i think that does somewhat echo into poker slightly because to a certain extent we are trying to play our opponent's hands and we can you know sort of get we get so far and we can anticipate so much but like that you know you just can't control everything but um, but yeah, but getting back to what you were what you were saying about, you know, sort of um, we can't we we never live in the world where this hasn't happened again. I think that's that's a really I think that's a really powerful powerful idea because so much changes in and this is like this resonates through so many aspects of our lives. So much when something big happens, it echoes throughout so many areas of our lives. That we we don't even realize is, is that something that you found with um as you sort of experience these things yeah um you know what i was thinking about was it, a lot of the time people talk about new poker players and how some people really latch onto the game and other people don't and i hear it over and over again a lot of people say oh well the people who run well when they first play poker those are the people who tend to stick with poker and the people who run bad 
the first few times they play poker, they're just going to be like, ah, the heck with this game. And then they just go away and they don't play it again. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, maybe there's a, there are some simplistic people who operate that way, but I think that there's a certain base level resilience kind of seed that you may have from your life experiences. And then you enter poker you get your little seed tested to see if it grows into an oak tree or dies, right? And I think that, like, I didn't run well when I first played poker, but I was just like, yeah, okay, I'm going to suck at this. You know, I tell my kids, like, how do you get good at something? And they say, start sucking, because, like, when you start something, you're going to suck at it. So I was prepared to suck at it, right? And so I, I think that there's this kind of base level resilience that people may have that can be tested by poker and either they're going to push through or not. And I think that one skill that I had from cancer, if you could say that it gave me a gift, is the ability to accept the new bad information and act on it without having, I think there's, you know about, you know how like the stages of grief and there's denial is this first stage. Now the Kubler-Ross stages of grief have now been, kind of said that they're not really accurate, but I think that they're still kind of part of the zeitgeist of our culture. And I think that denial, you can see it in the form of people just getting so irritated when bad things happen and kind of shutting down or saying, no, no, no. And I think one of the gifts that I got from cancer is to be able to move from no, 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 to this is happening <laughs> faster, right? And the, the quicker you, you can get to the this is happening stage of coping with your reality, the better, right? And that works in poker too, right? Because as, as the board changes, you can't just be like, no, no, no. And just keep operating as if the board didn't change in that ugly way. You have to adjust for new information. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one benefit that I brought through. Absolutely. And, and, and Doc, uh, hearing you speaking here, uh, I can't help but thinking of a question that has been keeping me up at nights multiple <laughs> multiple days in a row. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It's the idea you're talking about trauma. Um, and, and I guess it's a two-part question. Would you say that the trauma in your life is a an important aspect of what led to your growth? Um, that's, I guess, one question. Would you say that it was like some sort of like a fuel, if you win, an unfortunate fueling to become the, the the person that you are today? And that's, of course, it's a yes or no question. And then the second aspect of it is it, um, it, it sort of like ties to the first question. And it's one of those things that you say, well, I don't want to wish this to anybody, but if you can overcome trauma, you could potentially be stronger than somebody who may never have experienced it. Do, do you think there is any truth to that or this is just like a completely insane way? Basically, to summarize it in a, in a, and to make it a caricature, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is what I'm getting at. Is this really true or be wish what, you, what the stressors are? Be careful what the stressors are. What doesn't kill me makes me weirder and harder to relate to. Um, I think that... Um, that there's a nugget of truth here but mm -hmm. i think that a lot of people take it too far mm -hmm. and so i want to be i want to unpack this a little more um i don't think that cancer made me a better person 
And mm -hmm. I know that's a huge narrative out there. And I think it's kind of a harmful narrative, you know, because it's not a blessing. Like at this day, I would be a much better person mm -hmm. if none of that crap had ever happened to me, right? I would be a way better person. I would be interacting with with my loved ones without trauma rearing its ugly head with uh, with bad coping mechanisms that I've been trying to heal through. I would be, I would have more bandwidth in my life to be like volunteering, donating to charity, all the stuff that I did before all this stuff went down. Like there's a lot of things that would be better. Um, that said, um, I'm a different person now for sure. And I do think that there are some benefits that I've gained, like the aforementioned being able to move to the place of this is happening and acceptance much quicker than the average person just in day-to-day -day things you know like car gets a flat tire i'm just like okay this is happening what are we doing next you know like most people are like Rah! you know like doing the bad beat thing like i get to skip all that which is kind of nice and sometimes i find myself like thinking in the back of my head like when i hear somebody just continuously wigging out about something stupid i think man i wish that something like survivable would happen to them that's a real problem so they can have a real problem you know because like sometimes you see some people throwing tantrums on the internet or whatever and you're like this is a person without any real problems <laughs> this is a person who has never experienced a real problem in their entire lives and i kind of like not evilly i i wish for them to have a challenge you know <laughs> to be challenged by a real problem that they can overcome. I don't want them to hurt, you know, but I really wish that something would put things into perspective for them, you know? And sometimes when I get into it with my ex-husband, you know, I love him. I don't want anything bad to happen to him. But if he comes at me with just like another court case about something dumb, I'm just like, could he just have something give him perspective? <laughs> you know, like, nothing bad something overcomable right something that's gonna like feel bad in the moment but to just give him perspective give him a real thing to have to work through and so i think having real problems in your life that you work through can make you into a better better survivor mm -hmm. but i don't think survivors are better people <laughs> interesting that, that's actually very very interesting and 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 again Hearing you talk, I mean, it goes back to the things that you mentioned earlier about poker and, and the stressors. And you and I were talking a little bit before the the, the, the podcast began. And that idea of, of stressors, it's, it's interesting because um, essentially a little bit of an outside stress, which poker is great for, is it's great. It can it can make you resilient, can make you stronger. But you go too far, and you know it, it can cripple you. Like it's it's a real stuff. Like it, one has to be. One has to be one has to be very very careful. Uh, but I, I I love what you just said there. I wish things happen to people to give them perspective. And I think uh, you know uh, Taleb would would love this. This is like basically an advertisement for anti fragility. Like just expose yourself to some stressors, external stressors, to get a little bit stronger. Go to the gym. Like you know, feel a little bit of pain. It's not it's not a bad pain. You know, like the the pain you feel at the gym, right? I mean that yeah. type of uh, that th that type of pain. You know, it's interesting. I just read Fooled by Randomness by Taleb. And one thing that I thought was really interesting, because it's not the way I operate, is he was talking about, um, you know, when you if you watch the market too closely and you're investing in the market, 
you feel all these like roller coaster of emotions and so he says well i just don't look at it that often right i just i just don't look at it right and I thought that was really interesting. That's not the advice I thought he would give, right? Like, right. doesn't that doesn't that kind of speak against this resilience that we're talking about? Doesn't resilience mean that you can look into the maw of God and see the all the horrors there and go, okay, no, it's all right. We're gonna get through this. So um, I found that very interesting, and that's definitely not the way that I operate. And um. And it, it, I have in the past, you know, I used to get really stressed out when I would see my balance. So I would hide my balance in the poker room, right? Because I, I would always look at the ups and downs, right? But I thought, I realized that's a symptom mm -hmm. rather than, you know, an actual uh, issue that I can just solve by hiding my balance. That's a symptom of something that I needed to dig deeper into. Kind of like when you're a beginner poker player and you go, oh, I would have had two pair on that flop. I feel like that's a symptom of a mindset because now at this stage, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys, I don't even remember the hand I just folded. Like if sure. there was two pair on the flop, I wouldn't know it, yes. you know, and I wouldn't care um, if I did. And, and that's great. I moved through that problem. Uh, and now my symptom was looking at my balance and freaking out. And I noticed that I'm moving through that problem too, where I don't freak out about that anymore. And I think that was kind of funny that Taleb was just like, no, no, don't, don't address this problem. Just, just avoid it. <laughs> this, this is beautiful that you mentioned that, right? Because I think there is at least two levels there. You're absolutely correct. Like at the level of, if you really want to train yourself in variance to feel more comfortable with uncertainty, I think even Taleb would agree with you, would say, you know what, pay attention to the stock market and you're training yourself to feel comfortable with the ups and downs. Yeah. I think I, you're absolutely correct. I think his argument is that you're not getting the information you think you're getting. So his argument yes. is more on the, you're actually trying to translate noise into signal. So what you're getting, if you're looking for signal, don't look at the market. But if you really are trying to train yourself in noise, right? So that, that, that that's me talking now, right? I mean, that's my interpretation. If you're really trying to train yourself in noise, Always take the high variance approach because you're trying to train yourself to feel more comfortable. Exactly. Yes. And I think that poker helps train yourself to be more comfortable with this traumatic, traumatic events, right? right? right. Like I find poker really relaxing. I know some people think that's crazy, but like it's like a really deeply relaxing activity for me. Like when I pop up with those four tables, I'm just like, ah, honey, I'm home, you know, like. And when I get a really bad beat, like the ugliest bad beat where I got the money in fantastic and then I get just destroyed, I sleep like a baby. I love it when that happens. I'm just like, yes, universe, this is how it works with math. And I did the right thing and I'm so happy about it. Like, like I'm so at peace with that. And I think that it helps me be more at peace with life's variance, you know, because sometimes something absolutely stupid bad will happen in life and I will just laugh and laugh and laugh like a maniac because it's exactly the same thing. That, 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 that's a beautiful way. You know, we would actually end the podcast right there right, with, with, with that message, but it, we will be doing a disservice to all the people who ask these lovely questions and I want to get to those. Peter, do, do you have any any more questions uh, before we get to... No, I just... No. No, no, I think I, I, I'm, I'm good. I just, I, I, I love the way you know, Doc, 
Doc's approach to the to the, the to the bad beat there, where like mine would be like sort of you know rant in the moment, sort of ten seconds of and then you know I'll have moved on and I'm fine with that. But just to be just to be sort of really calm and blissful, that's fine. That's just the way it was meant to happen, and that's that's really lovely. I I think it's rare, but I I I think it's really I think it's really lovely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's why I love the game. You know. It's an excellent game. We, we all do it. We, we love it for different reasons too. And and we have some very interesting questions. So the, the first one comes from uh, uh, Ori13, a shout out uh, at Ori13Poker. Yeah, uh, Twitter. Uh, one question we already uh, touched, you know, how does resilience play a role in poker, which is basically the, the entire topic. Mm -hmm. But the second question is, uh, what's the difference between resilience and motivation and when should you rely on resilience rather than motivation? And of course, I can't not say that he says, hi, Dr. Alex Sharon. I'm excited <laughs> to see you on, on, on my favorite poker podcast. So we appreciate the kind words. Good, sir, also. That's interesting because I think that, um, the, the you know, when people struggle with resilience, then that's going to affect their motivation. Like, I, I hear that a lot. Well, you know, I'm in a stable now, you know, and there's a lot of talk about starting friction, which mm -hmm. is the idea of like, you know, not getting started playing poker for the day. Right. And I never have that. I don't have that. I love playing poker. So I don't have any of that starting friction at all ever. But I, I can see how it would be tied to resilience, like perhaps my resilience against bad beats specifically are, um, is what stops me from having any kind of starting friction. And I think that that, that motivation piece um, can come from needing to heal from that, those bad beats, you know, uh, I think that um, when we have, you know, just to back up a little bit, if you've ever been to therapy for any kind of grief, they'll have you take this sort of like little quiz of different things that you had to go through that year, you know, and not only will it have grief questions like, did you lose, did somebody important die or did you have like a relationship breakup, but also just moving house is another kind of grief thing. And all of these big major life upheavals add up, right? It's like cumulative to create this big grief ball that you have to work through. But in real life, you don't get space to work on your grief, right? Like when I was going through my divorce, I had just, I was like four weeks out from surgery. I'm trying to like move furniture. I'm like all alone, like crying my eyes out, being like, I had no space to work on my grief about the relationship. I had no space to work on my baggage from cancer treatment. I had no time because I had to sell a house and start a new life in Canada for my children, right? And that was kind of a bad thing, right? Because ideally, I could just take a break from life, go into therapy, work on intensive therapy, and then come back to life ready to take it on, right? The cool thing about poker is it's a game, right? So you can pause it. You can stop and work through your issues before jumping back in. And I think that's what Ori13 is kind of talking about here is that you? it can affect your motivation to get back to the game if you haven't processed 
through any of the issues that the game has brought up for you, you know? And so I, I think that that's the difference. I, I, I think that's, that's a really, it's a really interesting concept, uh, the difference between resilience and, and motivation, because obviously, I, I think as we all know, motivation can be quite fleeting, you know, like, I mean, we'll be motivated some days, other days we won't, but at the end of the day, there are still stuff we have to do, whether we're motivated or not. And I think this kind of goes into the heart of, of your story. Like, obviously, you didn't have any sort of personal motivation to do what you to do what you had to do, Doc. But obviously, yeah. you just had to do it. So I yeah. think that, that's where that's where the resilience comes in is the actual to, to the resilience to work through that. And I think I think you're actually a really good example of of that difference um that you had all this stuff that you had to do that you had zero motivation for because it wasn't your choice for the most part and right. you know your resilience was what got you through it would you would you agree with that sort of characterization of it definitely and but since poker is just a game like unless you have to play hands because you've got a backer and it's like your agreement and stuff like that then you definitely have space to just like stop playing and like address whatever issues are getting in the way of your motivation. But I think that if you're in a world where you do have to play because it's for a backer or what have you, or you've got an amazing ticket to a tournament that you can't turn down, then you just have to do, you know, go into robot mode. Like, like you say, you know, do what you gotta do. You know, like going to the gym, you know, treat it like brushing teeth in the morning. Just do do what you need to do. But um, I think that, that the benefit of just having a game is being able to put things on pause and really look into it and dig into it and figure out what's going on. Like I, I had a focus problem last month with some of my hands where I just wasn't focusing properly because I had um, I was learning a ton of new strategy at once. <laughs> And I was immediately oh, pushing myself to do, yeah, I was immediately pushing myself to do volume. I'm just like, no, I got to do professional levels of volume with all this new information. And my focus just wasn't there. I was losing the action in the hands. I was just, it was just like, it was a disaster. So I turned in my hand sample to my coach and he was like, okay, I need you to stop playing poker for four days and just study. And I was, that I was heartbroken. I was like, that is like punishment. I have to stop playing poker for four days. That sucks. So I'm going to make sure not to put myself in that position again. But that said, it is a game and I could put it on hold for four days and I could go back and like work through my issues because part of it was sort of the tilt of just rushing yourself, you know, like being like spastic, I guess, when you're multi-tabling, like trying to do things as fast as possible and not thinking through all the data points because you like see two bad data points. You're like, okay, it must be bad. I got to fold, you know, like those kind of moments, you know? And so I was able to just kind of work on those, the tilt, as well as the, just the plain strategy base away from the table so that I could come back to the table and be like, okay, going to not be a spaz this time. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and Doc, just to, to follow up a little bit on, on this, uh, would you, would you say that motivation is mostly an intrinsic quality or would you say it's an extrinsic quality in the sense that do you think that motivation is something that can be triggered externally or is it something that you either have or don't have if if that question makes sense 
It definitely does, because I used to be a teacher, and we talk about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation all the time, right? Because we've got all these, you get all these kids in a building, and you're supposed to teach them math, and none of them want to learn math. What do you do, right? And then extrinsic motivation can be problematic in a teaching context, because if you, you know, you give your kid candy every time they do their math, that's great. You can force them to do the math now but then they're not gonna learn the value of the math in their own life. They're not going to continue being curious about math once there's no candy involved, right? right? So I think that extrinsic motivation is a great tool that people should use on themselves as much as possible. Why not? You know, we're grownups, let's treat ourselves. But I think that it um, can be a crutch, you know? I think you can find a happy medium by sort of gamifying your games, right. <laughs> in a sense. So like what I'm doing now that my coach suggested, and I really like it, is, um, so I've created this spreadsheet. And when I'm reviewing my hand histories, I'll kind of like, I'll mark the hands where I deviated from the strategy in like an unacceptable way because either my attention was gone or I wasn't looking at, you know, whatever, like I screwed up. Right. So I mark all that screw up hands and then I do a percentage accuracy and then I put it in my spreadsheet and I color code it, you know? So like, it's like, if it's over 90%, it's green. If it's over 80%, it's blue. Right. And so now I have this colorful little spreadsheet and it's, it's really motivating to me because I can look at the color shift happening. I can see my growth over time. And that's more motivating to me than like candy or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's back to your point earlier that games is not just for kids. They're also for the adults. Essentially, what you just described is what Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi is talking about in the idea of, of flow. You created a game for yourself to control consciousness, right? I mean, yeah, is, exactly. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You know, like you have uh, external factors, you have uh, tr trigger mechanisms, you have a skill which you, you're trying to to invoke. You have feedback mechanisms. This is perfect. This is an excellent example of creating, making it interesting for yourself and learning in the process. And you create some sort. I would argue internal uh, motivation, right? I mean, yeah. you're creating your own motivation. It feels like it's external, but you created it, so. <laughs> exactly, and it is sort of intrinsic as well because you see the improvement, because it's hard to see your own improvement over time, you know, especially when you have just like a bad day and it skews things in a direction and you're just like, uh, like I have no idea how, how this game works, help. I don't know how, how do poker. And, uh, you know, I think we've all been in those moments. And I think if you start collecting the data in that way, you can see the trends more. And it's like really reassuring. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is this is fantastic. So the, the, there you have it, folks. So you get some ideas on some things to do to spice up your game a little bit, make it make it more interesting for yourself. So once again, shout out to Ori13. Excellent question. The next one comes from none other from uh, our, our own Rolo from from the village, uh, among the, along the same lines. But now we're exploring a, a different difference. So, how would one know the difference between being resilient and being stubborn? Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting one, right? And then he says, if we divine resilience, being a healthy stick to itiveness, like you stick to it in the face of adversity. But stubbornness being an unhealthy desire to continue in spite of damaging failure. So how would you 
That's an interesting. That's an interesting question. The difference between resilience and stubborn, because on, on the outside it feels um, as we we try to stay um, within the thing that we're doing, right? So it, from the outside observer who doesn't know what goes through our heads, we just try to stay um, and maintain the status quo in some sense. In both of these cases, being resilient and stubborn. So what would you say are the differences, Doc? I really like this question. Yeah. I, I think there's a, the differences in freedom. I mm-hmm. think that stubbornness kind of, it, it it represents a stuck mindset, whereas resilience represents a freedom of choice. But I think that stubbornness is useful too, and it can be like, uh, it, it can be weaponized in a good way. I mean, what is a marriage after all, except for two people stud- stubbornly saying, we are going to be resilient through our troubles and that's that's final right <laughs> and so i think that stubbornness is great in a lot of situations and um it can be an important tool in life but i think the difference is freedom you know when you're stubborn you are stuck and so if you're gonna be stubborn make sure it's your intention to be stubborn make sure you're being you know cognizant <laughs> Absolutely no, 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 and and to add to your point, I mean, we had a, a, a similar topic uh, with with Peter, right? We were we we're talking about um, uh, the uh, when we're we're talking about uh, a, a poker poker addiction, right? I mean, what is the mm-hmm. the difference with uh, somebody who's an overachiever and somebody who's who's addicted, right? Yeah. I mean, it was sort of like they both externally look the same, and you know, one of the the, the conclusions we, we we came to in our conversation anyway, which is very similar to yours, the freedom, like the presence of agency, of being mm. in control, the presence of growth, <laughs> the presence that we're doing this voluntarily and the presence of enjoyment, right? Mm-hmm. So if this is something that we like, we choose to do it, like all of these things are different than just passively being drawn into by external forces of life, you know, like, you know, stubbornly, you know, we can't help it, you know, like something in my mind tells me do it and I cannot have the agency to say no to it. I think that the ability to just adjust for new information is important here too, because when you're resilient, it doesn't mean that you don't take breaks, you know, when you're resilient, it doesn't mean you, that you don't churn, change course when you hear, when you see new data and you have to change your direction. Um, but when you're stubborn, it does mean that you're not accepting new data to change your course of action. Exactly. Yes, exactly. The freedom that you talked about, right? You don't have the freedom to to do it. Like just life grabs you by whatever and you just go, go, go there. Like in, in, right. in like in poker, I, if I'm going to see a stubborn person and a resilient person facing the same stressor, which is, let's say, a massive horrific downswing that dents their bankroll substantially, the resilient person is going to move down in stakes mm-hmm. and keep playing, right? Where uh, maybe take a break and then keep playing. The, the stubborn person is not going to take a break and is not going to move down in stakes, right? They're going to keep operating under the same assumptions. That, that's a beautiful example. I love it. So let me let me just repeat that. So in the presence of external stressors, the person who's stubborn, they're going to just keep on doing what they were doing before with no changes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But the person who's resilient, they're going to try to change it. I mean, the, the definition of insanity, right? Keep doing the same thing, expecting things to change, right? Mm-hmm. So the person who's stubborn is a little bit insane. But the person who's resilient, they're going to try to change it. They're going to continue to keep doing the thing that they were doing before. But they're going to try to add something different, to try something. That's a wonderful example 
right? Yeah. So they will go down in stakes and try to take control uh, of their situation. And mm -hmm. we'd love to have you here, Doc. This is some, some incredible in insights here. I love this it. This is fun. Yeah, I, I love this. Thank you so much for letting me be on the show. Of this course, of course. And and they keep Absolutely. coming. We, we we love having we, we we love having someone someone different to to share ideas with, and you you definitely bring a a, a wonderful vibe to the podcast, Doc. I, I always love your energy and in, in anything you do or anytime we we uh, we have interaction. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just so happy to be alive. <laughs> yeah, of, course, of course, absolutely. So con continue with the villagers. Uh, Shout out to, to Larry W., uh, they, uh, a regular there. He has two questions. So the first question is, uh, since success at the table requires focus and the right mindset, how have you balanced the desire to play, to get volume, uh, enjoying playing with the need to be in the right headspace to play well? Oh, that's exactly what I was dealing with last month, which I told right. you about. Yes, it's so hard because I love playing poker. And what I did, the, the way that I balanced is through data collection, right? So one thing that I learned about myself last month through data collection, which is actually a shocking find to me, is that I play better as in like adhere to strategy properly in the morning when I play as opposed to in the evening when I play. Whereas subjectively, I feel like when I try to play first thing in the morning, I'm like brain dead. And in the evening, I'm like, chillax, I got my music on, I'm ready to roll and grind, right? The data does not show this. The data shows that I am way more space cadet in the evening <laughs> than when I play first thing in the morning after workout, of course. Um, and so I switched around my day. And so now I study in the evenings and I play in the mornings and afternoons. And then I've also been using this really cool tool that I got a plug. They're not paying me to do this, but I really highly recommend it. So there's this amazing website called Focusmate. And what you do is you book on your calendar your work blocks, right? So I do 50 minute at a time work blocks for playing, 25 minute at a time work blocks for study. And then at the appointed time, a video call pops up with just like somebody in the world somewhere who's going to focus on something, you know? So there will be like a German college student in his dorm room and he's going to be coding in Python for 50 minutes. And he's like, all right, I'm going to code, you know, five lines of Python. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to play 270 hands. And then like, we just go. And then you don't. And then at the end of the block, you check in with your buddy and you're like, hey, how was your focus? Did you get those Python doodad things done? And they're like, yeah. Did you do the pokers? And you're like, yeah. And it's amazing. It works really well because then like, if I feel my focus sliding away from the games and I'm like, oh my God, and I look at my buddy's face and I'm like, I can't disappoint my buddy. I'm going to keep focusing. <laughs> wow. Absolutely. The idea of accountability, right? Finding a way to be accountable. This is this is lovely. I mean, people find all sorts of different ways, but in the end of the day, it comes down to accountability. Find a way exactly. to make yourself accountable. This is this is beautiful. Beautiful. Exactly. And um and, and I guess the last question, maybe you know, you can use it to to wrap all of this wonderful message together. Um, we touched a little bit on this, but again, I want to give you an opportunity to like tell us your thoughts. What have your life challenges uh, taught you 
uh, that inform your approach? And we already talked a little bit about this, but what are some like overall, would you say? I think overall, the things that I've taken is number one, every year of my life is now a bonus year, right? So like, I'm just, just happy to be alive. I'm like happy to be here. Whenever I'm at like a live poker table, people think that I'm on drugs because I'm just so happy <laughs> to be there and happy to be alive. And then two is that moving through any sort of denial. I feel like even though the Kubler-Ross stage of the grief might be bunk, I think that denial seeps into people's lives in so many different ways. It causes that stubbornness that we talked about earlier. It causes um, people to, to deviate from the most optimal path in a lot of areas of life. And I think that the quicker you can move to a this is happening part, of life, the quicker you can do the, the messy business of life. Like the day that I got diagnosed with cancer, for example, you know how I say there's no such thing as bad days, just bad attitudes. The day I got diagnosed with cancer, totally mind blowing day. I went to, you know, I went to the doctor, I had just like a lump under my arm. And I was just like, hey, what's this lump about? The doctor's like, ooh, I gotta stick a needle in there and see what's in there. And then she, she says, oh, I got to call my favorite pathologist. And then she tells me, you've got cancer. Tomorrow morning, there's going to be lots of imaging. There's going to be lots of doctors, a whole oncology team. You know, I'm like texting my husband, have cancer, pick up kids. <laughs> and he was in a meeting, so he couldn't get them. So I went and I got the kids from school. I got home. It was my daughter's birthday week. She was turning five years old. My son was three. So we get home. and. I was just like devastated, but then I realized we had a bunch of presents that we hadn't opened yet. So I was just like, let's open presents and order pizza, you know? <laughs> and so even that day, which was objectively kind of a bad day, you can keep a, an okay attitude and just like work with what you got, you know? Cause even in the minute when I had cancer and I didn't know what the hell was going on in life, in the moment I was, I had a roof over my head. I had my children. I had party gifts. I had the ability to order pizza. So just take stock of your surroundings without any denial and choose the best course of action. Yeah, this is, this it is might beautiful. be pizza and presents. No, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a beautiful <laughs> message of gratitude. I mean, this is this is such a such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful message. Uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, I I absolutely have nothing to add to this. This is this is a wonderful message, uh, uh, Peter. No, I I couldn't even hope to top that message. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try. So, yeah, I mean, no, I think this is a wonderful, a wonderful way to actually um, to, to end this. Unless unless, Doc, you have any anything else you you, you, you you wanted to add, we will definitely ask you, you know, where people can find you and things like that afterwards. But is there anything else you didn't address today or something? Yeah, else? actually, I think my publicist would kick my butt if I didn't mention that I wrote a book called Getting Through It, okay. which is about trauma and adversity okay. and mm -hmm. um, kind of finding different methods to get through it on your own. Mm -hmm. So um, check it out wherever books are sold. <laughs> get, <laughs> I'm yeah, so, so bad at self-promotion. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so the, the, the book is Getting Through It by Dr. Yes. Alex Shoran, so uh, Alex A L E X and Shoran C H A U double R A N. Uh, so, and also, where can people uh, find you, Doc? 
I know you have a lot of platforms. Yes, um, Twitch as Queen of Diamonds. Follow me there. I actually have a new show that I'm doing with friends about Tilt. So it's called Tilt AF. AF so yeah. check it out. And then also on Twitter, at Dr. Dr. Alex Sharon. Find me there. I tweet all the time. Yeah, those are the best places to find my poker gamerings. Absolutely. And you're at the village all the time. As, yes. As yes. So yeah. Find me at Poker Power Hour Wednesdays. <laughs> there, there you go. And uh, uh, how about you, Peter? Where people can find you? Oh, people can always find me in the village, Duncan, at chasingpokergreatness.com forward slash greatness village. And you'll get me on Twitter as well at Peter Birmingham, shamelessly plugging this podcast um, every Friday. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, and also you can find us both on, on Twitter uh, and we will post this wonderful video because there's nice facial expressions. And I, I like I highly encourage people to actually go watch the, the video as well. Uh, our, our beautiful faces. So on uh, why Alex beats Bobby uh, over over at YouTube. But um, please, please, please comment and send some love. That an incredible story and incredible life lessons from from the doc today. Uh, doc, it has been tremendous amount of pleasure having you here. Thank you so so very much for your insight and wisdom. Thank you for letting me on. This was so much fun. I would love to do it again sometime. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Doc. And we'll, we we'd love to have you again in the future. Awesome. Absolutely. And everybody, please keep sending us your questions for the, the next pod. We will uh, provide you know all of the information uh, in, in the social platforms. And once again, thank you, everybody. And we'll be in touch next week. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.